Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, good morning, wherever you're watching from. Hey, before we get going, I just want to give a special shout out to our friends in Princeton who are meeting in person. So about two years ago, we went up and visited Princeton, and we, at that time, we just felt led of the Lord to take on uh, Princeton as a campus of Horizon Church Surrey. And for the last, uh, I think, January, February of 2020, Jen and Praxis Borja and Joel and Lana Fortune and their families moved up there with the intention of launching last September 2020. Then we had this little thing called a pandemic happening, and uh, that has affected our launch lines and our timelines and all kinds of things. But I just want to give a big shout out to those two families for the way that they labored. They did all kinds of stuff to try and help connect people. And I know some of you are in the room right now simply because they reached out in some way. So welcome. Whether you're, um, if we're just talking to Princeton right now. So Princeton, uh, wave, do something, shout out loud. I, I, I can hear you, I think. One, two, three. Yeah, see, there they did it. <laughs> hey, uh, what a wonderful uh Start, and we're just going to continue to grow as as the the restrictions continue to lift, and all the things that are happening uh, continue to move forward. Uh, if you're there this morning and you want to know more about it, I know Jen and Praxis will be there. Uh, we also have uh, some other people that'll be able to help you find your space and your place. Maybe you just need to come back next week. That'll be wonderful. I think Jen is preaching next week. It's going to be fantastic up there. So really, really good. So proud of those two families and all the work that they put in, and. Uh, only heaven's going to tell the, uh, the full extent of what that is or what it looks like. So really good. Well, we're uh, continuing on in our series called Jesus People. It's kind of carrying this idea of how can we live and how should we live as followers of Jesus in our world. I don't know if, you, if you've noticed this, but probably you've noticed that our world is pretty toxic at times right now, that our whole area of the way that we uh, have discourse, uh, both in our social media channel, uh, channels, the way that we hear things on our news, uh, it looks like a different world depending on the news station that you're listening to. Uh, but we see great division in politically. We see great division even among churches. We say, see great division in so many different spaces. Um, the cancel culture, uh, of anybody who's a different opinion than you. And as things ramp up and open up more and more, whether, and it's happening around the world and it's going to happen here in in, uh, Canada as well, but we're going to be more and more in contact with people. Remember those? Yeah, where you, you had conversations, you made small talk, and it's, it's just going to be different again. But some of these people that you see in the flesh might have failed you. They might not have reached out to you the way that you wish that they reached out to you. Maybe they had a different and contrary opinion than you did about a political thing. Or they made something that you thought was just a health thing and you made it into a political or vice versa. And you're going to come into contact with these people again. And the goal of our discourse has seemingly moved from having a discussion to winning at all costs. 
And our world has gone crazy in so many spaces and places of what was once uh, seemingly accepted as unchanging, as changing at a rapid pace. And even in our church, we could be divisive, we could be divided, we could just engage fully in what's happening in our world. I know that some of you are liberal and some of you are conservative. Don't put your hand up online for whatever that is. I know that some of you might think COVID is simply a health issue and some of you might feel it's a control issue. Some of us are brand new immigrants to Canada and some have been here for generations. Some of us are from a, an African or an Asian cultural background. Some are from a European, some from a Latin American cultural background. So many different. Some of you have experienced racism when some of you have no idea what that would look like. We have single people, we have widowed people, we have married people, we have every kind of people in Horizon Church. And some of you are on social assistance and some of you are independently wealthy. A beautifully diverse community. A beautifully diverse community. But with what's going on in our world, we have to be very careful that our diversity does not lead to division. Division in families, division in workplaces, and certainly not in our church. And we've been looking as over the, uh, this last little while, how could followers of Jesus actually change the narrative of what's happening in our culture? How could followers of Jesus model a different way of living in our world and in our culture right now? As Jesus followers, how can we show that Jesus is real? How do we maintain unity and diversity? And we've been looking over the last number of weeks at a book in the New Testament called Colossians, written by Paul, written to a church that was uh, in a city called Colossae. And in, uh, in, in ancient, I think in Turkey, of what is now Turkey today. And it was a city that had been on decline. It was in, had moral issues, had uh, sexual slavery, slavery of every kind, women and children treated as property, all kinds of stuff. Religiously, everybody picked kind of what they wanted and, and made their own kind of a faith. And this church, though, was in the middle of that. It was a new church. It was a diverse church. It was a church where the rich and the poor worshiped together, where slave and free worshiped together, where people of every kind of ethnic background seemed to worship together. It was an absolute crazy expression in, that, in the world of that time. And Paul was concerned about two things. He was concerned, the writer was concerned about their unity and about their theology, how they lived and what they believed. And he took this time in this book to point them back to, I want you to live in unity. I want you to come together around Jesus and be centered on Jesus. Because there's all kinds of things that are different, that are unimportant, but the reality of what we unify around is about around being followers of Jesus and his way. In in verse six of chapter two, he said this, and just, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him and let your lives be built on him. 
So it starts with, I accept Jesus, and then I begin to follow him, and then over time, what begins to happen, my life begins to be built on him, and I grow in him. So Jesus is always meant for us to not just have him into our, or have him in our lives, but actually begin to change the way that we live, to change our interactions, to change the way we speak, to model that our lives could be transformed, that through us, our families could be transformed, our, our, our areas could be transformed. Wherever we work could be transformed because Jesus is in us and living through us. And Paul goes on, he said, I don't want to pretend that there's no differences. And he hits on this question of unity in uh, chapter 3 and verse 11 where he says, Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, he's just saying there's a whole lot of difference, but it's about Jesus that we are all those differences become second to being a follower of Jesus and his ways and the way that he wants us to speak, the way that he wants us to love, the way that he wants us to, to make a difference in our world, that all, all the stuff that we identify, and because our tendency is to identify what our differences are and then fracture around those. But Paul says no. He says as Jesus followers, and this has been our key scripture, uh, Colossians 3 and 12, As Jesus' followers, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, like put on a jacket almost, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on to talk about these five things, about how important they are. As God's people, how you live and relate to one another is so incredibly important. And I want to encourage you over as we continue through this uh, series, take and read through the book of Colossians. It's an incredibly helpful way to think and shows us in an incredible way how to live. But a significant measure of how our Christian life is or what our Christian life is, is found in how we treat people. It's great. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Good. Now, how does that show? How does that look in your life? It was Jesus who said, they will know you are my disciples by the, by the love. Someone say love. Even there in Princeton, someone say love. That's it. Thank you. Shanda's here in the room helping me out. Love you have for one another. Because a powerful reality is how we treat others is a visible expression of that Jesus is alive. Because sometimes you can't love someone else except through the power of Jesus in you. And two weeks ago, Daniel challenged us to live with compassion, have an empathy that moves us to action, that we begin to look at other people and try to understand where they're at. And last week, Katie, by the way, Katie preached for the very first time a full service last week, and she did an incredible job. If you, uh, yeah, just show her some love on the on the chat there and wherever you're at. That she did a great job of reminding us of the importance of simple kindness, not random kindness, but purposeful and intentional kindness. And today we're going to look at humility, that quality of mind of having a humble opinion of oneself. Someone said this, it's not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. 
So it's not about thinking, I'm a worm, I've got nothing to offer, I'm not important, that there's nothing good in me, but it's just thinking of myself less. I think of others first. And we want to look at our model today in Jesus in here in a moment, but first I want to, I reflected, and, and we were talking about this, Shanda and I, just recently, about how when we were first married, uh, we actually had disagreements from time to time. Mostly they were around when Shanda didn't see things correctly, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, maybe not. No, I am. Uh, when, when, and we would have disagreements. And Shanda had a very difficult time to say, I'm sorry. And for me, it was a high value. I wanted you to acknowledge that you were sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she just chimed in because she needed to say it so rarely. She was out of practice, you know. But we, and then when it, when it didn't happen, then I would withdraw and I would say, okay, fine. I'm going to pretend like everything's fine. And I would pretend like everything's fine. And it would be like the Arctic in our house, the atmosphere. And I would just pretend and our communication would get into spots where it was simply not happening except for when's dinner. I'm, bo- I'm going to work. I'm home from work and just basically didn't talk because neither of us wanted to give in. I was determined to win as, as much as Shanda was determined to win. Great to be competitive, but maybe not in this area of our life. Anybody else ever want to win an argument? Some of you, I know, I, some of you in the room right here should be putting your hand up. Some of you online, put your hand up online if you're one who likes to win the argument. And there's a name for that. It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. Pride is when we have an elevated view of ourselves. Pride is one of those things that damages ourselves, damages our relationships, damages our marriages, damages our workplaces, damages every sphere of our communication, and by extension, our relationships because of pride. I have an elevated view of myself. Now, some of you, when we were talking about this series, Daniel said, tongue-in-cheek, he said, I'll preach about humility. I think I'm the best at it. One of those most ironic things. But just so we're clear, I'm not preaching on this because I'm the best at it. It's just the way it works. But sometimes we make these things as something out there, like some cultural thing that, that if somebody else, I don't, I don't struggle with this or I, I'm not that bad compared to them or whatever. But I just want, I have 10, 10 things. I'm just going to rattle through them. 10 signs you could have a pride problem. Now, if you're sitting beside your spouse, don't keep score out loud for your spouse. Just thinking. Number one, defensive when you're corrected or when you're challenged. You get defensive. Number two, you refuse to or are slow to say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Could be a pride issue. You're highly opinionated such that you often interrupt people mid-sentence or even finish their sentence for them. And you think, well, it's just because I know what they say. What do you call that? Oh, yeah, pride. Or maybe you have some controlling, and that's rooted in pride, where you, with, when, when things aren't going the way you want, you will withhold affection, you will withdraw, you'll threaten to, relieve, to leave, maybe you'll throw your, your ring, or you'll raise your voice. Critical, quick to criticize spouses, children, leaders, friends, pastor, just critical and negative. Sometimes you might be seen in subtle self-promotion, reminding others of your contribution. Well, do you know how hard it was for me to do that? I didn't know, but I, you know, I've been up here since 4 a.m. this morning. Oh, thank you. Maybe unteachable might be one where you say, while someone's talking, you're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
Yeah, I already knew that. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Highly sensitive, where you read in, in, in uh, sorry, where you read innocent remarks or teasing as demeaning or threatening or critical. Maybe workaholism because you believe that your work gives you more worth. Maybe you're envious where you're bothered when someone else has some, when someone equal to you has success. All those are marks of pride, and, I, I, and, and there, there could be many, many more, but those, I think, are some common ones that are affecting us today. Defensiveness and all, all through. I'm not going to review them again, but our Jesus gave his life for us, and he gave his life to us. So he sacrificed his life so that we can be free from the penalty of sin, but he also came and lives inside of us to give us the power to follow him in the way that he, he would model for us. And he modeled for a different way of living in humility. And in John chapter 13, we're going to quickly go there. I'm going to read, uh, I think, five or seven verses. It's the story of Jesus uh, with his disciples, those 12 kind of guys closest to him. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knew. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he wrapped around him. And Simon Peter, one of the disciples, said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And the context of what's happening in John chapter 11, two chapters earlier, Jesus had healed, uh, uh, actually raised from the dead Lazarus, and the people were, in, it, it caused a great stir. People were attracted to Jesus, gathering around, and things were buzzing and happening. In John chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples entered into Jerusalem, and the people were out in, in throngs. There was no COVID protocol. Nobody was wearing a mask. They were waving palm branches and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the king. And so they're hooting and hollering. And so that's the context. And then Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22 that just as they were coming into this meeting, the disciples were having a discussion about who was the greatest. And so the disciples had had some wins under their belt. They were experiencing a popularity that they had probably hoped would have happened by now. The crowds were calling their name. It was fantastic. And finally, this could be their moment. After all, they had left their trades, they had left their businesses, they had left everything, they had wandered all over the nation, sleeping wherever they could find a space, and it had been rough. But the only question that was in their mind in the middle of all this was, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest leader with the greatest chance to sit next right to Jesus? And that was what was happening as they sat down to dinner. And it was customary in that time that a, low, that a servant would, as you came in, wash your feet especially for a formal meal like this. Now, for us, we might think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it was more awkward than you might think in those times because they, the, the, the sandals that they wore and the roads that they walked on were full of dust and dirt and mud and manure and all kinds of things, and their feet would have been dirty. And secondly, the disciples ate a formal meal 
and they were sitting down almost like at coffee table height and leaning against pillows and their feet would have been out in front of them or off to the side, close to the other guy beside them. And so it would have been unmistakable in its smell. But nobody was interested in washing each other's feet as it would have been an intolerable admission of inferiority compared to everybody else. If anyone could have demanded honor or respect in that moment, it was Jesus. And so, perhaps in response to the adulation of the crowd and the pride of the disciples being displayed, Jesus stooped down and intentionally humbled himself. It was not done out of weakness. It was done out of a conscious decision to model a different way. He rose from this place of honor, laid aside his garments, which would have been a garment of a rabbi, identifying him as a rabbi or a teacher, wrapped himself in a towel, poured water into a basin, the work of a servant, and began to wash the dirt, the dust, and the manure off of the disciples' feet. And then wiped their feet with his towel. And if that wasn't bad enough, at the table, there was a soon-to-be betrayer. And Jesus loved him, washed his feet, and dried them. At the same table, there was one who was soon to deny him. And Jesus loved him, washed his feet, and dried them. At his table, there was a man named Thomas who was a big doubter. And Jesus loved him, washed his feet, and dried them. Jesus extended him, not out of himself, not out of obligation, but out of love and intentionality. Because humility, humility is not is a decision to use my resources, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, no matter what, to serve people. Jesus shows us because humility is a decision to choose the more humble way. Humility isn't offended when it isn't served. Humility serves regardless of position, both the position that the one serving is in and the one being served, not even enter into the equation. Jesus served those that doubted him, denied him, and even later betrayed him. Humility, through Jesus, he risks generosity of spirit and action when he wasn't receiving it at all. It's how you have, see, Jesus was modeling a way of how you have conversations and how you relate to one another and how when, even when people are kind of have issues and they smell, even what they're walking through causes problems. Even when they might have something against you, even when they might be preparing to betray you, that humility says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And Peter was at that table and when Jesus modeled that and the lesson seemed to stick because decades later when Peter wrote to Christians about humility, he put it this way, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. More literally, Peter wrote, wrap the apron of humility around yourself. He got the message because, and then he goes on to remind us that God opposes the proud in every area of our life, when we're not operating in humility, God puts his hand and kind of stops us from moving forward. Why? 
Because he knows that if we continue down that path of pride, that it will destroy our lives. It will destroy our relationships. It will destroy our future. So what seems to be the blockage of God is actually the goodness of God. Because he's going to stop us from destroying ourselves. But he gives grace to the humble. In other words, he gives his power to you so that he can live through you. Humility attracts God's power and pride attracts God's opposition because God loves you too much to see you succeed, to see me succeed in our prideful ways. But how do I take this beautiful picture of humility that Jesus modeled into everyday life? Because we don't wash people's feet. That's what baths are for and that's what shoes are for. Shall I begin to carry a towel and a basin on SkyTrain or at my office or in my family or marriage? Well, you could. If you did, it sure get you noticed. But get really practical and look at the clear example of Jesus. As he came and he put on humanity, he came from heaven and he chose the harder way, but the better way of emptying himself of his divinity and all of his godly powers and said, I'm going to live as a man and lay aside all my powers and say, I'm going to serve. To those, for all of us, to those that we disagree with, to those with a different cultural background, to those with a different voting pattern, to those that disappoint you. In Philippians 2, it describes how Jesus lived. It says this, but be free from pride-filled opinions. That one right there. Don't feel the urge to win someone over to what is simply an opinion. For they will, that will only harm, they will only harm your cherished unity. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Wow. Put others first whether that's the bus driver, the waitress, or your boss. Abandon every display of selfishness. Are you irritated if you're overlooked? Be concerned about what matters to others. Sometimes we need to stop and shut up and listen and actually hear. And then I love this last phrase. Let his mindset become your motivation. What if someone blows it? Well, verse 13 and 14 tell us to bear with them, to forgive them, and keep living as Jesus' people. Because how do we continue to show people that Jesus is alive? Because God gives grace to the humble. We cannot live this way. We can't live unoffended without Jesus. We, we won't be able to serve people who might betray us or have betrayed us, forgive them, without Jesus. We don't operate in generosity of spirit, believing the best, even of those that have hurt us or failed us without Jesus. How do we do it? With the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And now, verse 6 that we started out in chapter 2. And just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanksgiving. 
So if I'm going to walk in humility and see my relationships change, transform, and actually begin to model a different way for the world around me, that I can walk in humility with those that are different than me, that I can walk in humility with those that have hurt me, that I can love those that have disappointed me, that those that I don't agree with, don't understand, that are so different than me, that humility can pave the way, that in un- that I can walk with the in diversity and still walk in unity because Jesus is leading the way. He models a way, he models a different way, he models a better way than a world gone crazy. Jesus, I thank you for those that are watching, those that are in the room. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, we repent of our prideful ways where we put our agenda, our desires, our offenses higher than you and higher than the relationships around us. And we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you, that you would help us to walk in a way that honors you, heals relationships, and and shows the world that it matters that Jesus lives inside of us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.